You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattensperger. In this episode, I speak with Rishikesh Hirway, creator of the award-winning podcasts Song Exploder and The West Wing Weekly. His most recent endeavor is his new podcast entitled Partners, where he explores the bond between people who have made something together. Rishi is also the executive producer and theme composer of The Jump, a podcast hosted by Shirley Manson of the band Garbage. He is also the musical talent behind the 1AM radio and a member of the hip-hop group Moors with actor Lakeith Stanfield. Rishi and I met in 1998 when we played a show together in New Haven, Connecticut. Our conversation recalls moments of our past, but quickly moves to the inner workings of his relationship with music, design, and the creative process. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Rishi Kashirway. I remember when you, you started uh, using the drum machine and you would f- refer to it as baby. <laughs> I forgot about that, actually. I'm surprised that you forgot I forgot about that. that that's what I called it. Baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> She was your baby. Yeah. You know, I don't know how long baby was a part of the, uh, the mix, but you know, like not, not a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, a, it was like a, yeah. Dr. Rhythm, a role, rolling <laughs> Dr. Rhythm. Here we are. We're, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're kicking off loosely with where it all started. No evil star, which was before the one AM radio. But I think, I think a lot of people know of the relationship as Jerome's Dream and the 1AM Radio. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a perfect segue into you becoming your own your own act. You went from No Evil Star to your, your, your own music and started producing your own music, started uh, recording your own music, writing your own songs. And of course, as our friendship developed, it seemed like Jerome's Dream and the 1AM radio, it only made sense for us to keep playing. And I think even back then, I think people weren't really expecting the, that kind of pairing. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, we were this loud, unrelenting, hardcore band. And then the 1AM radio sonically was much different. But I felt like you were still a punk. You were still operating in a very DIY sense. And I felt like, even though sonically it's it was different, but I feel like the expression and, and what you were drawing from were similar places that we were drawing from. It was just being executed in a different way. Those were really nice times. I remember uh, the first shows that we played, I think the first first time we went on tour was my, my senior year of college in, in December of 99. We were going we to play those four sh- shows down in the southeast. Yeah, and it was just it was exciting. That was the first time I think you were, you were like, oh, we should all we should play shows together. For you, it was always very clear that you were like, of course, these two bands or whatever projects yeah. go together, and uh, and that was always really nice. I was just so hungry for the chance to play in front of anybody and have it feel legitimate. By which I mean like most of the people who played music in college. I think or a lot of the sort of like college bands kind of thing was just like playing parties in college, which I just could not care less about. And and for me, the only thing that made it felt real was playing in front of strangers, going somewhere else, going to somebody 
else, you know, getting off of your home territory and being like sort of having the trial by fire of just like, well, here are my songs. The only place that I could really find a kindred spirit for that was like with, with JD, you know, like that specific kind of ambition of like, let's get out of town, let's get in the car, let's go play. And, and, uh, I always appreciated that so much, getting that chance to go with you guys to do that stuff. And it didn't really matter to me. Like I loved Jerome's dream. And for me, I was just like taking in all kinds of music, you know, like you said, at that time, 1998, like the world opened up. I remember just being exposed to so many different kinds of music and so, so many different bands. And for me, I was, I didn't care. Like I would put, make a mixtape with all of those things all together. So playing a show with Jerome's dream just felt great, felt natural to me. I didn't really think twice about it. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about music, right? Like I was saying to you a few minutes ago before we started rolling, how a band like Portraits of Past is still to this day. And it's funny because anyone who's listened to any of the other episodes leading up to this one, I've probably mentioned them at least once. (laughs) But it's only because I use them as a a band that I can say that to this day still resonates with me on on, on a real visceral level. And you gave me the Portraits of Past LP on cassette. Really? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That was how I got introduced to them. And I was like, oh, this is my favorite hardcore record. Yeah. It's possible that I borrowed it from you and never gave it back. (laughs) (laughs) You might have unintentionally given it to me but i definitely had the portraits of past lp courtesy of you i just know it came from your car (laughs) (laughs) you probably just saw it and picked it up yeah exactly (laughs) so of course you were playing with no evil star and who was the and they were like sort of my like i was playing drums in in pinstripe and like writing songs in that band and that was like my band but then no i heard noeville star and i was like i love this band and i wanted i really wanted to play electric guitar in a band Mm. and i wanted to do something that felt closer to sort of like some of the post-hardcore stuff that i listened to and anyway i I just basically asked them i was like can i play guitar in your band and they said yeah and so i started playing like that well i love that you mentioned pinstripe because i completely forgot about that band I've completely I completely forgot that you were playing drums in that band yeah yeah I was playing drums and writing writing we all kind of wrote together and then we would trade off guitar and drum duties and that was the first that was the first record that came out on uh, the record label that would eventually put out the uh, JD one name radio split which is called garbage czar right yeah it was called garbage czar and then and then David and Carl kind of uh sort of bequeathed it to me and then and then it became translucence you realize how how in the circle it it kind of remained you know even to when we did the split together it was put out by our friends it was like it was garbage star yeah yeah i mean that's the thing yeah it's uh it's amazing how we almost built this this very specific world and I think it really gave us like a level of, um, I don't know if it's, if confidence is the right word, but it just gave us a, a sense of belonging, you know, knowing that like you guys were out there and you were making your, your, your music and, and art. And I'm remembering now that you mentioned Pinstripe. I remember specifically, you know, and at the time there were CDs, you know, you showed me the Pinstripe packaging. Yeah. Yeah, like like when you showed me the Pinstripe EP, I think it was an EP, or maybe it was a full length. I can't remember. It was eight songs, so eight, whatever you want to call that. Eight song record. And I thought it was just so cool because there was something about 
knowing that you actually laid it out. And um, I actually physically made them because they were uh, the packaging was like craft, you know, cardboard CD cases. And I and I letterpress printed them. Yeah, I did like a blind hit. So so no ink. Uh, letterpress printing on the letterpress printer in the basement of Yale's library, which is where I like, which was where I was working that summer of 1998. Yeah. I was working uh, using the letterpress printer. Well, you know, that that's also where we designed the amalgamation split Mm -hmm. was in the graphic design lab. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I'll never forget because I think that's where I became like officially intrigued by graphic design. Cause I know that you studied graphic design in school. That was the the very first thing that, that uh, we did down in the graphic design department. You had that, um, it was rice control was putting it out. Yeah. We need to make the packaging for this, for this seven inch. And this was right around the same time that I was doing the pinstripe CD. You had an idea that you wanted to, to try. And then we, we put it together and I like, and you had this like geometric thing. And, and I remember the idea was that it was going to be like one piece of paper that you could fold in half and make that the seven inch sleeve. And we got them printed at the, uh, we got them printed at the same place where I got those braid posters printed. Tyco copy. Tyco copy. That's right. See, I'm, I'm, I'm I hope this is interesting to people who did not grow up in no, New Haven. No, we're, we're just, just remembering names of businesses in New Haven. <laughs> I think we're just getting started. <laughs> Yeah, and there was something. I think there was a sense of kinship that you were like, "Oh, you're doing this thing." You know, I was, I had been inspired by sort of like um, Chicago record labels mm-hmm. um, and places like uh, bands like Rachel's and um, Shellac and and C and Cake and the way they had done the packaging. All these bands that I had learned about in like 1998 and right. was so excited about the way they did their design, and I wanted to do something similar for the pinstripe thing. And, um, and and I think we did the same for the JD yeah. uh, amalgamation split. There 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 was that that element in terms of that type of aesthetic, and I think I still have that ingrained in me because of where we started out with it all. You know, you you kind of gave me the introduction to uh, graphic design layout. You know, it really was during then when I kind of got the bug for it, mm-hmm. and I kind of developed. Um, at least I knew what I liked in terms mm-hmm. of typography and, and proportion and layout and all that it all started with that with all of those records and I think you actually brought scene cake to my attention so again it's, it's it was an interesting time for us as young hardcore kids who were suddenly listening to bands like scene cake or trans am or I mean even even braid which might be a little bit closer to the mix but they were still of a different set. Mm-hmm. versus these other bands that I grew up listening to or were at least familiar with at the time. But I was going to ask you this, you know, with music and design, what can you say to that in terms of the importance of the integration of design and music? I think f- for me, I was interested in both of those things. And one of the things that I was really excited about with the like the first 1AM radio EP that came out was it was a way for me to it felt like the first really consistently true expression of an aesthetic that I got to do like in every form I was like this is m- like my taste this is my taste and this is what I wrote these you know these are the music that I wrote these are the lyrics that I wrote this is the photograph that I took to ex- to go along with that this is how I did the, this is the design that I did to go along with it like it was 
it was really exciting for me to be able to take one kind of aesthetic idea and express it in all of these different forms. It just felt like it was, um, it was like me. It was this physical object that was like, this is me. And so I really loved being able to do that all myself. You know, like it, it just, it felt like, um, it felt empowering in, in some way. And, uh, and that was the reason why I ended up, you know, that was how I ended up getting into design anyway. Like it was just from doing posters for bands and then, and wanting to always be connected to that part of the thing, you know, it was never just, you know, being in a band was never just about what are the notes uh, that oh, totally. you can play. It's like a whole idea. I mean, I, I, li- I liken it to skateboarding, really. It's a similar thing where it's not just about pulling tricks. It's about the entire all-encompassing creative output of it. And I feel like, you know, whether you're a musician or you're a skateboarder or if you're anything else, kind of to, to your point about doing it all and then having that sort of empower you, you know, it's because it, it, it gives you like this level of control of, of creating, creating your own world. Mm-hmm. And it's both like sonically and aesthetically. And then suddenly it, it just takes on this very specific feeling I think that was, so that was basically my, my interest in design was a way of like, it was a tool to be able to actualize your own ideas. Like it was an expression of DIY basically. Yeah. You know, like I wish I could build my own house if I could that like, you know, in that same kind of way where it's like, yeah, I need to make this thing. I need, this is something that needs to happen. Okay. Well I can just take care of it my, on, on my own, you know, instead of having to rely on other people, graphic design was something that I needed, you know, in order to convey these ideas. And it was something that felt like it was within my grasp. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to learn this while I'm also trying to do this music stuff. And, and it'll, you know, they'll tie together in a way that makes me feel like, okay, I'm able to at least, I'm at least able to take care of this stuff. Yeah. How much of that approach would you say applies to your world as, as a musician now, uh, you as a producer now, you as a designer now, like, are you drawing from the same principles that you started with when you were younger? Like, is it still the same or has it evolved? And if it has, how, how so? I think, um, the other form besides the way, like the 1am radio packaging and albums and stuff sort of reflected something intrinsic about who I was or who I am. I feel this, I feel similarly to a song exploder, the, the podcast that I do. It feels like that is an expression of like, it's like the culmination of a lot of different ideas, some of which are musical and some of which are design related. But, but basically it's like, okay, if you could smush all of that into one ball, this is the shape that it would take. Like the one aim radio thing that I was talking about, that's sort of one shape. This is another where it's like combining a sense of fussiness and like minimalism and, you know, kind of cleanliness in in the design and execution or something like that. The way I see it is, uh, the packaging, if you will, of the podcast, Song Exploder, it's very, yeah, it's, it's very clean and it's, it's very lean in terms of how the content is, is presented. You know, it, it's, it's so razor sharp and it's so clear in, in the formatting. And we had talked about this a while back in terms of how you have applied design to the format itself. And in particular, you mentioned minimalism people who listen to the podcast, they'll notice that you are barely on it. And that's almost a, a, a I mean, that's obviously deliberate, right? Where, yeah. where you, you, you bring focus to, to the artist talking about the music, but you, you, you've done it in such a successful way where 
you can you can tell that you're almost applying design principles to the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond aesthetics, but in terms of the function and format of the podcast, it feels more like a design project that I'm doing that where the topic happens to be music than yeah, it does yeah. a music project. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it, it, but it brings me back to this idea of it being all encompassing. Yeah. Right. It's completely smushed together. It's, yeah. it's all integrated. Everything kind of accentuates everything. Yeah. Right? I always used to think about like in school and later I used to think about how design and like the way that I would think about design connected to the way I would think about the drums um, and playing, playing drums and sort of this, the sense of, you know, where to leave space and where to, where to take up space and trying to create some kind of rhythm that was like pleasing and made sense or, and then with the podcast, that stuff becomes so much more clear because I'm thinking about the same things, but then there's this element of time for the, for a podcast time is the only measurement. And so all of those edits, because the show is completely edited to bits, every single word, every single space between sentences and stuff like that. I'm always, I think I'm still thinking about it rhythmically. Rhythmically, of course. And yeah. and I, I've been approaching this podcast in a similar, similar way where when I'm editing, it's almost like you, you develop a particular cadence that makes sense to you. And I think as musicians, we can't help but approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Or like even like the delivery of a sentence or the break between an interaction, it's a very specific thing to decide where to begin the next phrasing. Or, or for some reason, I'm thinking of the word like you try to create anchors throughout the arc of the podcast. I imagine, mm-hmm. and for me, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what those are. So even as a drummer, um, and you were saying how they, it became became so much more clear like in in doing the podcast and how you can sort of apply this rhythmic element to it in terms of like like playing a beat and you decide like where to leave space or like where to create the accents or you know Mm -hmm. i haven't really thought about it like that even though i do think about it i think about it in a rhythmic type of way but not necessarily like where space is best used although even though in design like i'm i'm i almost use space as more of a component than actual mm-hmm. actual content. Mm-hmm. It's almost like how you use space to create the feeling around the content you're placing within the, the piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and thinking about rhythm in the context of Song Exploder is, is easy because there's musical elements throughout the whole yeah. thing. So, so it's not like such a crazy stretch, but it is, uh, but it is something that I, it just it managed to, it, crystallize some connection that I was trying to draw in years past between rhythm and design. And then, so thinking about Song Exploder as a design project, I felt like I was, I was like, oh, this is how I can, in a very literal way, combine these things. Yeah. And then of course, on top of that, you have storytelling. And then I feel like there's also this additional layer that that's created just by how the musician is talking about the particular song, but then also how you kind of weave in the elements while they're talking about it, it Mm -hmm. creates, to me, it creates a real depth for the listener. And again, to me, that's also another part of, of its design. It's like, you can look at it in pieces in terms of a design element, a rhythmic element, there's a storytelling element. And then in terms of the production, the, the layering and how you sort of weave it together, it's, um, it's cool when you mix those ingredients and you kind of see what you get. Yeah, it's a nice, nice luxury to be able to to be able to switch between an isolated part from somebody's song 
as a storytelling element, you know, when they say I started writing this piano part, uh, because I had this, I, you know, I was feeling this way and I wanted to write something that reflected it and you hear the piano part and you get to listen to it, but then sort of seamlessly switch to then that element becomes a scoring element and they start telling, they start expanding on the thing and what, what their feelings were and where they were in their life. And now suddenly the, the piano part isn't just acting as like a piece of the song. It's acting as a piece of score for the story. And th- that's a really nice luxury that that, that the show kind of uh, affords. How many episodes have you done so far? You've done a uh, hundred something. 178. So you're, you're pretty much shy of 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. It'll be 200 by the end of the year. Will anything change coming up in terms of format? Or is this sort of, you kind of found your approach to it. You found, you found what works. Will, will you evolve it in any way going forward? Or what's, the, what's, what's in the cards? I think that one of the things that's nice is having kind of a structure for it and then being able to like push on the edges of it as needed. The last episode with Caribou started with a little cold open, which I don't normally do, but he said a thing that just was like a perfect way to open the show, I thought. And there was a little bit of a little piece of music from the song that went with it. And he's, he says, you know, if you told me, if somebody had said to me, oh, you're going to do this hip hop track as a duet with a soul singer there's no way that would have worked. And then that's how the episode starts, you know, and, and it's not something I normally do, but it's nice to be able to, to change things when the situation calls for it or when there's an opportunity to, but, but that also kind of relies a little bit on the idea that there is a structure, you know, that I can work off of, you know, one of the things that lets me make episodes regularly is the fact that there's sort of like a regular format for it. Mm. I always think of it as sort of like, the podcast is kind of like a canvas and then the individual story and the song, the artist gets to sort of like provide the colors that the, that are going to go on the canvas. And, and in the end, what you're really paying attention to is that like you're ending up, you look at what's on the canvas, you know, the fact that, that all the canvases are the same size or whatever built made of the same materials is secondary to the, to the image that's created with the material. So if it were a matter of sort of reinventing it every time, I don't know, I think I wouldn't be able to do the job as well. Well, so I guess, I guess it's 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 a format that people have come to know and to almost become used to, where where it could be a different artist every time, but the format's the same. I think consistency probably is quite important. I mean, part of the reason for that too is because there's an absolute lack of consistency in terms of who who's on the show. Yes, and I wanted to present a band like Converge, and you know, an artist like Nora Jones in the exact same format right? to be like these pieces of music can be listened to and discussed in a similar kind of way and see what you get out of it. And, you know, and people who might never listen to one or the other get to have sort of, again, like this canvas that they, they understand and they expect or whatever or that that's regular to be like, okay, this is how these things are being presented. And so it, it was sort of a hope to try and like level the playing field a little bit. And yeah, and so that consistency was important. That's what makes it so successful, I think, right? Is um, you can take an artist like Nora Jones or Converge and then kind of approach it in the same way in terms of how you construct the presentation of their music. Even though they're completely different sonically, the way it's discussed and and the way the stories are told is that's the constant, Mm -hmm. you know? Would you say that that partners is a similar format or have you completely like knocked the building blocks down and have have you, have you taken a different 
approach with partners? It's similar in that, you know, in both instances, I'm doing like a long form interview and then editing it down to something a lot shorter and taking myself out of it. So it's presented as like a first person narrative. You know, I don't have music in it. And so so that changes things completely, because with Song Exploder, there's like a there's a mandate a little bit to like be able to to try and explain the genesis of a song to a lay audience so that anybody can come in and, and you know, come in cold, not knowing anything about an artist or a song and be like, okay, this happened and this happened and this happened. And even if you aren't someone who makes music, you can kind of get something out of it. With partners, there isn't that same kind of need. There isn't that same kind of like dictum, kind of like being forced on it. Mm. And so, so the rules are a little like they're looser, even though I still have these other rules of like, I'm going to edit myself out. But I think I, I had a very clear idea of what it is that I wanted with with that show, which is I wanted to feel like two people were telling you their love story, even if they aren't lovers, you know, like even if they aren't romantic partners, that you would have that a similar kind of experience. And I, I wanted to sort of like, in some ways to take like a structure from like romantic comedies a little bit. Well, like when Harry met Sally or something. When Harry met Sally is the inspiration for the podcast. They're, they're the scenes in the, in that movie where they cut to the old couples right like like the the real the real couples yeah exactly (laughs) who are out of the story and they just turn to the camera and they say this is how we met and the original idea for partners was actually going to just be based on that it was just going to be couples telling their stories like Mm. like in when harry met sally but then um but then i i I realized that there was that actually like taking that structure you could expand it and especially if you thought of like any partnership any successful partnership is kind of a love story was kind of the thesis of the show for sure and so um what would you say motivated the the concept of it doing song exploder has been a lot of fun and one of the one of the things that like that sometimes happens is i interview two people at once and and it's a completely different feeling than interviewing one person and then sometimes i interview two people separately and i have to intercut them or you know or, or i tr- try to intercut them to present them in a way that feels like they're two people telling the same story. Mm. And that's always really fun for me. And then on top of that, I think just like being married and going to <laughs> going to couples counseling mm-hmm. was a huge, huge influence on that show. My, my <laughs> now wife uh, and I like started going to couples counseling like well before we ever got married because... I had heard from like I knew a couple who were they were going to, uh, you know, like a marriage therapist. And I, and I asked them, I was like, does that like does that really work? Does it do you get something from it? I had tried therapy in the past and I never it never like never really worked for me. I always felt like I don't know, it, it always felt too solipsistic and too self-indulgent or something. I don't know. It just never it never really stuck with me. And so I was like, is this, does this work for you? And I remember she said, she's like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's just a way of sort of, um, having this like small way of like committing to, to the, to the relationship together every week. I was like, Oh, that's nice. And it struck me as like extremely romantic Mm -hmm. at the time. And then on top of that, my wife and I are so different in terms of the way that we communicate, which is like, I will talk and talk and talk. And like, I want to listen and I want to like, you know, find out what makes somebody tick. And I want to, you know, I really want to get into it with somebody. I want to skip past all the small talk and go straight into, you know, deeper questions. And my, my wife is just, she's very quiet and very shy and very kind of introverted. And so 
often it felt like we were speaking like a totally different language. And so I thought, oh, this could be something that could be really good for us. And it just, yeah, it just seemed romantic to me too. And maybe in some ways, like, so we weren't married, but we were engaged. We knew we were going to have this very long engagement. So we were like two years into a four year engagement <laughs> and uh, we started going and I just like loved it so much. I like, I really, really loved it because it was the opposite of this um, feeling that I got from individual therapy of, of feeling like, Oh, what am I doing? Am I just wasting my, my own time, you know, just repeating conversations that I have in my own head because suddenly there was this like, there was this practical element to it of like, Oh, we're talking about our relationship and we could talk about like everyday miscommunications or something like that and try and figure out like the work suddenly having it be about two people as opposed to just me made it feel more concrete and made it feel, I don't know. And I, and I got really into it and well, it's amazing how you can apply that to this concept. Yeah. What I like about it as, um, as sort of the the next project after Song Exploder is because Song Exploder is focused really on one thing, which is the production of a song. And then you have Partners, which is a dual component, two people, and to almost deconstruct their inner workings and their chemistry and, and, and how they operate together. And also to talk about what they've created together. So song, the things that they share, Song Exploder and Partners are both, both basically operate on two two mechanisms, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. How you did the thing that you do and then how you feel about it. And with Song Exploder, then there's this third part of like the actual music that, that kind of weaves into it. And with Partners, it's just, uh, it's it's really, it's a show about feelings. And so I do very little on the plot side of things. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a little bit less about like, what did you do? It's really, it'll be like 20% of like, what did you do? And then 80% of like, and what were the feelings? Like, how did you feel about it? And then how did you feel about it? And I think it's just fascinating to the idea that two people can actually connect and, you know, people fight and people figure it out and they make up and to be on the show or like, you know, I'm thinking of partnerships that are successful. So like there's some kind of alchemy that uh, magically occurred between, but it's not magic. There's like real work. And that was kind of the idea with Song Exploder too, is like sometimes you turn on a song and you're like, how did this perfect piece of art come to exist? It must've just like dropped from the sky And then, but then you go and you like talk to the person who made it and you find out, no, there was, you know, they had originally written it at this, in a different time signature and it had a different chorus and it didn't work. And then they had to redo it, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I like that idea that, that you take this thing that's seems impenetrable and then you find out like, oh no, what was, what was the actual like real labor and emotional labor that went into it? And so this is so long long uh, conclusion to to your question was uh, doing partners was kind of my way of being a faux couples therapist, (laughs) like getting to sit down in front of two people and be like, where are your problems? Where are your successes? What makes you happy about each other? What, you know, but I do it. And of course not so deliberately as that, but, but that was the kind of thing that I was getting from it. And did you have to do any additional research beyond your life experience (laughs) with Lindsay? (laughs) I, I mean, you know, I think, it definitely helped having had a lot of interviews under my belt because between the episodes of song splitter, I'd also done this Western weekly podcast mm-hmm. and um, which you just finished the the final season this, uh, this past December, right? Uh, January, or January. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, 160, 170 episodes as well. And so there were, 
I found out sort of like the things, the kind of things that I like to ask in those settings, like the kinds of questions I like to ask and the kinds of conversations that I like to have. So part of the experience was that it was just like, I, I just found out more about how I like to relate to people, um, what I want to hear them talk about. So I think that that experience probably can't be discounted. You mentioned um, questions, you know, ask, asking good questions. I mean, obviously, clocking a few hundred inter- interviews, you, you probably find the best way of going about doing that. How do you or how have you navigated through interactions with so many different types of people? And, and how have you developed the questions or the types of questions that you ask them? I think it, it comes down to the answers that I'm most interested in. With songs, so you almost reverse engineer it. Yeah. And um, certainly helps with Song Exploder that you don't hear my questions. So I can be as bumbling uh, as I need to be to try and like evoke the the answer. And nobody has to catch me like hearing like how stupid it was. Or like sometimes I have to play stupid to try and get the thing, you know, get a better response for, for people who don't know what how music works. Anyway, but the, the ultimately with Song Exploder, the thing that I'm, you know, it's a show for me about creative process. Uh, at its best, it's about creativity and specifically about intention. So underpinning every single part of the show is me wanting to find out the answer to the question, why? Okay, you wrote that lyric. Why? Where did it come from? You you wrote it on a guitar. Why? You know, like, I just want to, I want to know where all, like, there's some... You really get microscopic with it. Yeah, there's some point, some internal point somewhere within that person's psyche or like experience or mind or something that led them to that decision. Um, even if they say, oh, I don't know, I just did it or it was ch- just chance. It's like, actually, that's not true. There's something, you know, some set of actions that made them do that. So th- that, because I know that's what I want to end up with, it helps me um, figure out what questions to ask because I'll ask a question and then they'll say something. And I'm like, well, did I find out why? I don't think I did. Let me ask this question instead. You know, it doesn't always work, but you know, so there have been times where, where you have found yourself not getting what you need to, to make an episode, you're saying, or, or just for a particular inquiry of some kind? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are people who are more cognizant of their reasons why they do something than other people. There are, other, there are people who are like more in touch with it and are more motivated by, by specific thoughts or emotions, you know, and can, can sort of turn that into a a piece of art or a piece of a piece of art, you know? So those people are like easy to interview because they have it sort of on, on the surface. Some people it's a little bit harder. And then some people just simply like just don't aren't if they might not connect with it. Yeah. So, so, so it kind of has, you know, it, it's varying levels of difficulty. And I think, but there's also, you know, varying levels of what's interesting, you know, what, what it is that actually motivates some, someone versus another. Sometimes it's just like for a particular song, there's a more interesting um, or richer or like more complicated or heavier kind of story. Mm. Um, so, you know, th- that's, that's also part of the fun of it is you don't really ever know. So where are you in your creativity right now? I mean, you're, you have all these things on the burner. Having just wrapped West Wing Weekly, 170 something episodes song exploder and then just releasing partners for you at this point in your career and your creative outlets what is all of this for you now at this point where it's it's of a certain scale 
It's of a certain notoriety. Would you say that that your day-to-day production of the podcast and, and, and everything that comes with it, and of course, the you're still composing music, mm-hmm. what does it mean to you now in terms of what it is you're... Like, what's the purpose? What's, what's the motivation... Are you drawing from anything in particular or has it become sort of like this, this not fun, but this almost like a science, it's almost, I don't want to say it's less so art, but there's almost like a science to it as well, right? I think the, uh, actually that's been my big, my biggest challenge with Song Exploder is the fact that it has, that it is kind of like a format that, that I've been doing for a while. I mean, this is the seventh year of the podcast. Last year I had a guest host. And the what was her name again? Tao Win. That's right. From That's the right. Tao and the Get Down Stay Down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tao is the guest host, and then um, Christian Coons, who had been who had originally started working with me as like an intern on the podcast um, over the years, has gotten more and more and more involved and better and better at it. He became the producer of the show, and I kind of and I kind of took this step back where I was like, I'm going to try something different and see. You know, I at that point I had done five years of the podcast and 150 episodes. I was like, I want to see if there's a way like what does it feel like and how does it change to have somebody else be the interviewer and have somebody else be responsible for like getting the stems from the artists and like cutting together the um, tracks and things like that it's almost as if you passed the torch yeah and i wanted to see what what that would feel like and would it still feel like song exploder but really what it was was me trying to just like find something new like a new gear Mm -hmm. for it to turn on and or maybe i just needed like you know, an inning of relief or something like that. Well, I I think, I think you did it successfully because the episodes that she hosted, it it didn't feel like that it deviated too much from the feel or the, the, the format of song exploder. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So like Christian and I kept the format very, you know, intentionally exactly the same Mm -hmm. so that it would feel, you know, and again, that's the thing where if you don't have the interviewer in the episode, it doesn't feel that different. It's really just a, just an intro and an outro. So that it was something that was kind of set up to be, to be able to survive a change of host without much external difference. Mm. Um, and that really helped. But, but I guess, uh, part of the reason why I was like, in some ways kind of even looking forward to the West Wing weekly wrapping up was just the idea of the, like, okay, that project is done and now I can start something new. And so the thing that I think is the primary motivator for me is like, what can I do that's new? I kind of took a break from 1AM radio stuff in 2012 for a while because I was like, I felt like it started to feel like the creativity was, was having to compete with the practicality of it, uh, with the, like the business side of it. Mm, and like, like just the, the realities of the music business. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after even just two years of fe- that feeling, I was like, I can't do with I need to take a break from that and so I wanted to try something new you know and I was and I had had finally gotten the opportunity to do film scoring which is why I'd come here in the first place and then in 2013 I was like okay what else can I do that's new and that was when um I started uh Moore's with Lakeith Stanfield Mm -hmm. it was a chance to kind of do music in a new form where I was like making essentially like 1am radio music but with somebody rapping over it instead of me singing and uh and having a having a bandmate, you know, which I hadn't had in so long. And that was also the same time when I started working on Song Exploder. So it was a similar, like last year I was, you know, I had taken this break. I was like, okay, this is a way of changing, changing things up. And then I had had this idea for partners in my, my head. And 
And I was like, oh, well, here's a way to sort of take some of the stuff that I learned from Songsplitter and do something new. So I think that's that's it. It's just like I just want to do I just want to do new stuff yeah. all the time. It, it's like a uh, it's just like a natural progression. And you 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 kind of I feel like since you moved out here, it has kicked into this gear where. I mean, it's been a long time. You've been here for almost a decade. Is that correct? More than that. More than that. God, where does the time go? When did you move here? I first moved here in 2002, you know, and then um, in 2004, the album A Name Written Water came out, mm-hmm. the One Name Radio record, and I toured and toured and toured a bunch, and I kind of left L.A. at the end of 2004 and then went home to Massachusetts and made the next one name radio record. I was basically gone from LA for like a year and a half and then came back to LA in 2006. And I've been here ever since. So 14 years. It's a, it's a long time. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, it's, it's funny now when you say 14 years and I was going to say, yeah, when you moved here to LA, things really started to ramp up with your, you know, diversifying of your creative outlets and all that. But when you, when you look back at it, especially using one name radio as a marker, cause the, the way I look at it is, my time or our time together when we were younger, you playing in 1AM Radio, me playing in JD, and then how after we broke up, which was 2001, we all kind of went our our ways. Life happened. We grew up a little bit. I ended up in New York for 15 years before I moved here uh, a couple of years ago, or 2016. Um, what I'm hearing, I'm just sort of echoing this the timeline back, but when you get when you got back here and you settled then it seemed like you really kind of found like this next wave of, of new creative outlets. And after you realized that you're going to maybe, maybe just press the pause button on the 1am radio. And then you started working on this podcast. Did you ever think that it was going to go where it did? And did you, when you first started it, did you have a particular plan for it or was it, or was it a thing where it's like, you know what, I've never done this before. I'm just going to try it and we'll see what happens. I did have a plan. I mean, I specifically wanted to, I was still being motivated a little bit by like how crappy it felt to have to think about the 1AM radio as a business. Like in some ways I was so proud. I I think it was 2007 was the first year that I was like full-time making a living as a musician, you you know, and, and it had been my dream for so long and I'd worked so hard to try and get there. And that year just, I was so happy. 2007 was just such a, you know, I had, between I'd like produ- produced a record for another band and between my own band and like touring and stuff like that. And then like, you know, it was the first time I had songs and like TV shows, you know, like it was just like, I am doing it. You know, it felt yeah, really it good. It started happening. But that is also the beginning of when my relationship to music completely changed because now <laughs> the economics of your, the success of your music like matter to your livelihood. And so for the next five years, I felt like, some of the joy started to get like chipped away around the edges because because I realized that like I was I was it was hard not to compare myself to other it was harder you know like like when you're I don't know I guess I felt like when it was earlier on when you're just sort of like a bunch of people in a basement nobody is making their nobody is like making their living doing that you know you're just like doing it for the joy of it it was a completely different relationship than than when I was like this is my job as much as I, as proud as I was of that. So basically with, uh, with song explode originally, I thought I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to make my own job. I'm going to make my own day job that is going to divorce me from having to rely on music as my day job. 
I did not want to have that relationship anymore. And, you know, sometimes, and, and, and especially when you're not touring and when I wasn't making a record, it's suddenly like, well, what's going to happen? One month you might get a check and then three months you get nothing. And then, you know, and I would do like freelance graphic design here and there, but it's hard to keep that stuff consistent. It's hard to keep a, I don't know. I just didn't know where things were going and felt very unstable. I had to have this idea for, uh, for a podcast for a little while. And I thought, let me try this. Let me see if I can do it. Never made anything like that before, but if I did this, I think it could be like something that people would be excited by. And then the goal was it would be a way to consistently do a thing that I could make money from as a way to sort of, as a way to support myself while making music. It would still be something that would be about music. And, and in some ways this is part of the reason why I'm not in the show is because I was like, this is not my art. This is not me. This is a, this is a sort of like a service that I provide for other artists, or this is like a, a programming that I'm creating that I think is going to be of benefit out there in the world, but it is not about me and it is not about my ego. My ego is tied up in making my music. So that was, that was the goal. And I guess I, I just hoped that it would be, it would work well enough that I could do that, that I could sustain myself and then make music. I think you get to a point where you do have to sort of confront yourself with that, where you need to make a decision. When you, when you reach that crossroad where it's like, okay, wh what do I do now? How do I go about sustaining this type of life that allows me to sort of have my involvement one way or, or another? And I think that's an amazing thing because you are so clear in how you wanted to do it and then you just kept doing it. And then over the years, episode after episode, it started to take its own shape. And then ultimately, like, let it led you to these other opportunities, which is so cool, you know, whether it's like speaking at these 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 companies or these these summits or doing the live podcasts at the theaters and all that. It's just amazing because earlier when we were talking about how you would sort of smush things together, design, music, aesthetics, sonics, the whole thing. It's like you, you are you are doing it now in this way where you are able to make a living and there's nothing wrong with that in fact isn't that the goal <laughs> i'm observing just sort of how you acknowledged your relationship with your music career or your musical path and then how you sort of course I don't know if it's course corrected but like how you said okay this is what I need to do in order to sustain this into the next part of my life yeah which I'm still working on because I haven't made another YM radio record since like I, this other you know this was supposed to be a solution songs butter was supposed to be a solution to a particular kind of problem and then it ended up creating this other kind of problem that prevented it from happening which is just like that it's a lot easier to focus on something that um, where you're accountable to other people than it is on something where you're accountable to yourself. It's a lot easier to be like, oh, I have another episode of the podcast to focus on. Let me answer these emails about booking. Let me figure out what the edit is, you know, for this versus saying, okay, well, let me let me take this day and just work on on a song and maybe it'll be done by the end. Maybe it won't like for, for with song splitters, like every two weeks an episode's coming out, it's coming out. I made right. a promise and, and, to somebody. And yeah. And you're accountable for it. Yeah. 
Whereas with, with music and songwriting and, and that process, it's always a bit open-ended. Yeah. Like, does anybody care if I ever make another 1AM radio record? Nobody more than I do, you know? <laughs> and so, so it's hard to justify saying, well, let me take time away from this project to do this other thing. So I did, I did made a day job, but now I'm in the same position that like people with like regular day jobs have where it's like, I can't, can't focus on, essentially I've turned what was my profession. I spent so long trying to make my passion into my profession. And then I basically chose to, to like downshift it into a hobby. Mm -hmm. And now it's a hobby that (laughs) it's like (laughs) gathering dust in the corner in some ways, like I'm making music, but the music that I make is again, stuff that's like where it's accountable to other people. It's like I'm scoring something, you know, or, or where I'm, I have a deadline that's externally imposed on me. Well, your, your landscape has simply changed and it's not like it's a bad thing. I mean, there's a part of a great thing. Like, I don't love it. I I, like, I think the dream for me would be to be, be able to figure out some kind of balance of being able to do this. You know, you asked me like, what's the thing that, that that's motivating me? I think it is to try and figure out how I can get to a place where I get to do new and different things all the time without having to give up on the things that I, that are, that are old and familiar that I still love. Mm. I have not figured that out right now. I'm like, I'm in like a five year, five year swing of like new things, I guess being that being, podcasts or whatever but but i haven't figured out a way to balance that with this thing that is the most important thing in my life the thing that's been the most satisfying creatively which is writing and producing and singing my own songs do you think you'll ever find that balance in the near future i mean you like you said you're kind of in the swing of like this like five-year whirlpool of podcast production and travel um everything seems to be it evolves around the world of the podcasts yeah I, th- I mean, I hope, so my plan is, I guess, hopefully later this year. So the Westman Weekly was this inherently very long-term project because it was supposed to follow every episode of the West Wing one at a time. And there were 154 episodes of that TV show made. And so it was necessarily going to be 154 episodes. And then we did, uh, you know, other episodes on top of it. With partners, I was like, I have this idea for a new project. My commitment to that show is one season of eight episodes. And... They're coming out every other week. So in 16 weeks, that first season will be over. And then I can kind of like take a break and, and assess. And song ex- and then at that point, Song Exploder will be my only other sort of ongoing thing. And I can get back to, theoretically, I can get back to something where I was like in 2014, where I was touring. I mean, it was with Moors. It wasn't with 1AM Radio. But in 2014, we were touring. We were playing shows. We were putting out releases. And I was doing song exploder and that was part of the reason why i did the show every other week as opposed to weekly because i was like this is a cadence that i can sustain that allows for enough room for me to also make music what i ended up doing was like keeping that cadence but then filling up the other time instead of with music with either other podcast projects or with music for other people do you know and and that hasn't always (laughs) worked out so well time management wise so that's the goal is i think this year hopefully when that first season of Partners is over, I will try and, and get back to making music a lot. Yeah, maybe when, when season one is wrapped, uh, you can find an opening. Yeah. And maybe deliberately carve out some time for yourself. Maybe even, you know, pick up your guitar and your computer and go somewhere. Yeah. You know, switch the environment. That might help too. And, yep. and even though it, it, it's all so at the forefront of your, your brain... If you change context and if you if you go there with a deliberate intention to make music, 
it doesn't matter if you write one riff or you write one album. I mean, it, it'll be probably really good for you in the in the the long run. I have this instinct to want to like chase after new creative projects, things where I'm like, I've never done that with my brain before. Let me try it and do that. And I get really excited about it. And that's ultimately what's, you know, led me away from doing music, unfortunately. And so I have to basically <laughs> train myself not to do that between now and then. Like I can't say yes or I, or, and sometimes it's just saying yes to myself. Like partners was not something that somebody handed to me. It was just like, I was like, Oh, I had the idea and I was like, I want to do that. So I have to sort of like turn off that part of my brain. That's like, what about this? it could be like this and this and this and this and get, I get like really excited about those things. I have to turn that part of my brain off a little bit so I can buy myself some time so that when there's going to be a time in my life where I'm like, Oh, I don't have the next thing all queued up. And I think hopefully also the other bet that I'm trying to make is that music will once again, feel like that new thing. It's been so long since I've made a record that it'll feel like a new project. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like the trajectory you're on right now, I mean, of course, you want to allow yourself for this moment to become what it's going to become and or what it's becoming in terms of Song Exploder's success, West Wing Weekly's success, and then, of course, um, season one of Partners and, and its inevitable success. So <laughs> that's nice of you to say. Inevitable. Only one episode has come out. Yeah. And I loved it. It was great. <laughs> For those out there who are listening, check out Partners. It's, <laughs> it's really great. But I'm just a proud friend, okay? <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening.